All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and, and what a joy it is to get to worship and sing. And maybe you come from a tradition where not a lot of uh, flamboyance and singing. I mean, that's the way I kind of grew up. You know, we would sing like this. Um, but for me, I've, I've learned a little bit more, I mean, about worship, and I think it's actually biblical as you look in the Old Testament. You see David, uh, David was dancing around and singing, and so like these, you know, that first song we did with the jumping around, that's kind of fun. Um, I think about, you know, say you're married and you go to your wife, you're like, I really love you. You know, this is really great spending time together. You're, you're a-okay. <laughs> I mean, so worship is kind of that, with, like it's okay to get into it and clap and, and uh, so... That's all. I'll leave it at that. Um, you probably wondered why you got a shoe coming in this morning and why there's some shoes up here. Um, and shoes kind of tell a story. You know, as I look around, um, the story, well, her shoes say lazy, Crocs. I'm just saying. Let's see. You know, boots, bra- no, those are nice. I like those. Yeah. Well, so, you know, here's some of my shoes. Uh, I don't know what my shoe says. This, these are my favorite pair of shoes, and I've kind of worn them out. I had to patch a hole right here. My toe was sticking out, so I patched a hole. But now it's bursting out on this side, so, you know, you got to put them up, and there's, like, sand in there. Um, so this, I don't know if this says I'm lazy or cheap. I'm not sure what that says. Uh, these, these boots were the ones we bought when we went to Africa some years ago. We had to get steel-toed boots for drilling wells. Um, and these, obviously, you know, they look a little bit used and worn. Well, we're, we're talking about shoes because in the passage today, which is Romans 10, you can turn there, we're going to see one line that says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so, I mean, just that picture, I mean, and that's kind of a weird thing to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Of course, he's trying to make a point about bringing the good news to others. And so I wanted to kind of go off that point. Do our spiritual shoes look brand new, right? They, they're, they're in the closet, they're not, or do our spiritual shoes look kind of used, right? Do they look like these where we might need to replace them often enough uh, or, or more and more often like I should? You know, we... Uh, we live in a day, well, actually, I would say every, every age is full of people looking for the ultimate truth, right? The, the idea that there is no God, atheism, is really, really new. I mean, within the past couple hundred years, uh, that is a really new thing. Throughout history, people are searching for truth, right? The ultimate truth, because we're born with an idea of eternity, right? The Old Testament says that every human is born with eternity in their heart. So we know that there's a God. We don't know the details though, right? He gives us enough to know some things about him, but not all the details. And so people go searching for this truth. You know, you look throughout history and, and there are people who, you know, go take a vow of silence and be in a cave for, for years um, or go on these other pilgrimage, pilgrimages, pil- that's a word, pilgrimages. Paul, you're rubbing off on me, um, a pilgrimage, right, to find a, a prophet or some kind of mystic that can sh- find this truth that's out there, right, uh, that, that only a few people can find. And it happens today, right? In the last hundred years, there's been kind of an increase in this uh, seeking for, like, the mysticism, you know, going to these uh, healing events where gold dust falls from the sky. Um, and if you have bad teeth and you pray hard enough, you'll get a gold tooth while sitting in the audience. Uh, you know, this idea of, of searching for something special out there. And so the question I have for you, if you know the truth, right, the one truth of God revealed in his son, 
life available only because of Jesus' death and resurrection, how far would you go to bring that truth to someone you love? Right? Would you wear out your shoes? Right? Would you wear through the bottom and so your foot's sticking out and you have to get new ones and go through? How far would you go? Because we are surrounded by people who need this truth, who want this truth. And to be honest, many would respond yes. Now, many would respond no. But we, we, I have a tendency to make people's decisions for them. Right? I'm not sure this person will do this or that. How will they know what the choice is if they're not given the choice? Turn to Romans 10 if you would. Because this passage is very clear when it comes to salvation and the role of God's people in salvation. Romans 10, it's page 1047 in the Bible in front of you. Yep, it's near the back of your Bible. Romans is written by Paul. Paul wrote about a third of the New Testament. He was a a missionary. Um, And Paul is writing here, again, Romans is a kind of deep theological book. And here he's going to be narrowing in on one specific piece as we go in our, our week two of our plan A series. So Romans 10, starting in verse 5. It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He starts here talking about the idea of of righteousness. And he's comparing the righteousness under the law. So here he's speaking to Jewish people or about the Jewish religion, which was completed in Christ. And he's saying their righteousness, and, and the word righteous means to be right with God, was based on obedience. And so this is the first note. To be righteous is to be in right relationship with God. And under the law, there was this idea of righteousness based on following the law and and obedience. Now, Jesus fulfilled the law, and so now it's righteousness by faith, belief, faith in him alone. And so we need this righteousness. We cannot be saved without righteousness. And it's not a self-righteous, you know, when we think the word righteous, right, it's a self-righteous, proud, it's not that at all. The word righteous means a right relationship with God. Because of sin, everyone is born apart from God, broken, separated, and we need to be restored. Kind of cool, if you look through the the whole theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible really is reconciliation and restoration, right? That God created man good, man and woman good, and in right relationship with him, we broke it. The rest of the Bible is about him trying to restore his relationship with us, right? To reconcile us back to him and then to restore us the way we should be right? Apart from sin. Uh, Abundant life is one of the things we say a lot around here because Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God is a God of reconciliation and restoration, which is really cool because y'all are fixer-uppers. 
right? I, I, I mean, we are, if we're honest. We're fixer-uppers. We have, we have sin. We have struggles. We have traumas. Go down the list, whatever it is. And God is about the business of taking us and restoring us, right? Filling us with joy and pe- all those things. And he wants to do that with others as well. And so, as we look here, this righteousness is based on faith. Now, verses 6 and 7 are kind of interesting and, and kind of fun, right? He, he says, who, verse 6, um, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. What is he talking about? Here, it, it's kind of the idea of seeking for that special secret knowledge of God, right? Who's going to go to heaven, right, and ask God himself, give us the truth. He said, we don't need to do that. Or who's going to descend to the abyss or the place of the dead, now, there is clearly the, the comparison here of Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, descended from heaven, revealed himself to us, died, right, went to the place of the dead, rose from the dead, and ascended back to heaven. So there is that picture. But here he's kind of using that picture of you don't need to go up there and find some deep mystical truth because he already came down and showed us the truth. You, you can't go down to the abyss, the place of the dead, and, and pull Jesus up. and He's not there. He rose from the dead. So we don't need mysticism. Now, I I would say the Bible is mystical. I I mean, there is deep supernatural truth, but there's not some place we can go for some secret truth. Here's his point, and it's in verse 8. The only place to find the truth of salvation is in God's word, right? He says, the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. You don't need to go to a mountaintop. You don't need to, you know, go into a trance, other that's, you know, Indian, Native American, other things, right? You, you get high, you go into a trance to, to find something. You don't need to do that. Why? Because the word is near to you. The only place to find the truth of salvation is in God's word. And what is that word? Romans 10, 9. One of my favorite verses just to lay out salvation. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he goes on in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that's the same word as righteous, justified, made right with God, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, right? Call on the name of Jesus. Anyone who calls on the name will be saved. Eternal salvation is found when we believe that Jesus is God in flesh, that he died and rose from the dead for our sins, and we call out to him to save us, right? We call out, uh, if you remember at Pentecost, Peter and the rest of the disciples were, were preaching the good news, and, and people were cut to the quick, right? They believed. They said, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized, right? It was this idea of repenting, agreeing with God that sin is sin, be baptized, this public confession of faith. So here we call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Again, our mission, Paul brought it up already this morning, is to connect people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. To bring them to that reconciliation that Jesus offers with God and that restoration, again, where we can get fixed up into the the person God wants us to be. Eternal life starts now. So our theme this year, again, we've, we've never really had a theme, but our theme is plan A. And plan A, it's part of our, our um, covenant here. You know, we don't have membership at Common Ground, but we have all-in partners. Same type of deal, but it's, it's a covenant relationship. And the first one in all-in, A, stands for plan A. We are God's plan A to share the good news of Jesus, and there is no plan B. 
That's kind of an interesting thing, right? We are plan A, and there is no plan B. And so here, we're going to go on, uh, verses 14 through 17, and we're going to really see Paul lay out the order of salvation. It's kind of cool. Look at verse 14. It says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here he, he asks four rhetorical questions and he lays them in reverse order, right? Five steps in salvation that we're going to see. First one, a person is eternally saved when they call on Jesus to save them. You see that in verse 13 specifically, but also verses 9 and 10. Someone is saved when they call on the name of Jesus, right? They recognize their sin. They recognize Jesus, God in flesh, as our Savior, and they call out, save. It's like somebody drowning, right? And call, save me. Save me, not the person drowning going, no, I can do it, I can do it. No, the person drowning, I, I need help. Save me, Lord. They call on the name of the Lord. Again, this call includes repentance, a, a change of allegiance. Again, we're not saved by any actions. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, right? Again, righteousness by faith. But that faith, what's going to happen when we place our faith in him is we are going to want to repent. Again, we don't become perfect, but it's, it's a change of allegiance. No longer am I a slave to sin. I'm now a slave to God, a, a willing slave. So we are saved when we call on the name of Jesus to save us. Now, again, the second step, it's in reverse order, right? So number two, a person is saved when they believe in the real Jesus. So that's the second one, right? You call, but how do you call unless you know what you're calling on? How do you know unless you believe accurately? This is very important, belief. Believe and faith really are synonyms in the New Testament, right? So we have to believe. And in the note there, we say in the real Jesus. Maybe you've encountered people, they say, I'm a Christian, right? But I can't believe in a God that would blank, right? Or fill in, or my God, blank. If you have an opinion about God that's not in Scripture, it's just your opinion, <laughs> right? We, we have to believe in the real Jesus. Here's, a, here's kind of a fun example. We have a picture here, right? Uh, maybe, I, I mean, I grew up seeing pictures of Jesus in people's homes and things. Did Jesus look like this? Probably, probably not. You, you know, one of the pictures I grew up seeing a lot was very white Jesus with blue eyes. Well, Jesus was Jewish in the Middle East. He, he probably didn't look like a European. But yet, as time went on, right, Europeans made him look like them. Why? And I'm not saying this is all bad. I know in our day and age of cultural appropriation, we get all riled up. Why would people do that? Because they could relate. We're going to make him look like us so we can relate to him. And we, we can take that off. But, but we have a tendency to do the same. I want my God to look like this, whatever that would be, right? In our cultural day and age, we want him to look like this. And so we mold him into our image. Well, we can't do that, right? God is God. Jesus is who he is. And, and our opinion has nothing to do with who he actually is. And so we must believe in him 
as he currently is, as he always is. Uh, you know, our current mainline Christianity, if you're not aware or paying attention, it's not traditional historic biblical faith anymore. The mainline denominations have left the truth of Scripture, and we must share what is true. Uh, look at Romans 10. Look back just real quick at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 says this. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What's he saying there? He's saying these Jewish people, these, these Hebrews, they have a zeal for God, right? They have passion for God, he says, but not according to knowledge. They're ambitious about God, but what they believe is not true. One of those things that we hear often is if somebody genuinely believes something, right, then that faith is good enough. Well, genuinely believing the wrong thing doesn't work. If you genuinely believe that pineapple juice will run your car, it's not going to work, right? So, so somebody who genuinely believes in any other God, it's not going to work because there's one God revealed in Jesus, one way to salvation. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That is the only way. That's so we must believe accurately. In 2005, there was a study done, and there was a book written, and, and it was looking at the uh, Americans in general, but mainly younger Americans, how they believe, and this, this study was done within the church. And within the church and outside the church, the answers were pretty consistent. And the writers of this book concluded that what people believe is no longer in general, biblical, historic Christianity, it's something totally new, and they gave a name to it, and they called it moralistic, therapeutic deism. Kind of weird, but it has five tenets. So here are the five things, again, that, and listen if this doesn't resonate with you. One, they believe a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Very unbiblical. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And five, good people go to heaven when they die. Those are kind of the five basics of this belief, and most people within the church would agree with these things. This can't save. That's, that's the hard part of it. This can't save because it leaves out all the truth of, of our sin and Jesus, right, God in flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, us needing to repent. Again, the goal in life isn't to be happy. The goal in life is to serve the one true God. I mean, go down the list on these things. They can't save. And so, again, number two, a person is saved when they believe in the real Jesus, which means, number three, in order for a person to believe in Jesus and call on Jesus, they must hear the good news of Jesus. And we can add one more word on that one, accurately. They must hear it accurately. Not a God of our own making, not a Jesus we want, right? Not a cultural, accurately. So they must hear. You know, in verse 14, it says here, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Right here, uh, how are they to believe in 
him of whom they have never heard. Another accurate translation could be from whom they have never heard. Meaning this, when the word is preached accurately, it is Jesus doing the communicating. When someone hears the word that we've, Romans 10, 9, that we already looked at, the, the truth of Jesus, when someone hears that accurately, the communication is coming straight from Jesus, meaning if they reject it, if you reject it, you're not rejecting the person sharing it, you're rejecting God himself. If somebody else, you share the good news in grace and love with somebody and they reject it, they're not rejecting you, meaning we are free. Our ego isn't wounded. We, we don't need to get angry if somebody, dis right? They are rejecting Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers. He says, I want you to go and I want you to preach. And he says this to them in 1016. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Again, we are free to share the good news in grace and love accurately. Now, this is why if you come to Common Ground, we teach out of the Bible, right? I, I try really hard not to give my opinions because what's an opinion, <laughs> right? And even when we're out sharing the good news of Jesus or, or with fellow believers, opinions often are just that, opinions whenever possible. I like to open the word or have somebody else read it because this is the truth. And if somebody rejects this, that's between them and God, right? And so again, we want to share it accurately. And listen, we don't need to try and make the gospel more palatable. We need to share it with grace and love, but a lot of times when we share, it's like, well, I believe, and we say it this, we emphasize the I as in I'm giving you permission to believe something else. And that feels good, right? And, and there's a place of being gentle, and, but well, I believe, well, no, we can be confident in the truth. The truth is there is one God and one way to salvation, and it, it is Jesus. We don't need to try and make it more palatable. We don't need to go through it and, and take out the, the things that our culture disagrees with, right? Morality in scripture, again, the church has tried to go away. Oh, we're putting up barriers between people and God. And so let's take the sexual morality laid out clearly in scripture and change it. We don't need to do that, right? Because God is God and he doesn't change. All right. So number four, for someone to hear the good news, someone else must speak it. Wow, that's surprising, <laughs> right? You see verse 14, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching, right? So someone must hear the good news. Uh, this, this idea of preacher here, the word is herald. This is absolutely what we're doing on a Sunday. This is also missionaries going out. This is also you in your daily life. Right? Uh, Peter would say, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and love. Well, how are people going to ask you about the hope within you? You're living open. Right? It, your, your friends, your family, your coworkers, whatever, you're living life. Life happens. You show joy when there shouldn't be joy. You show confidence when there shouldn't be. You show hope when, when really there shouldn't be. And they say, what is up with you? You're like, here's my chance. My hope is in Christ alone. Right? So someone must speak it. Someone must preach. This is a really good place. This is part of the reason we're going to two services, right? Most people, honestly, well, I don't know if it's most. I don't remember the stats, but it's high. If they're invited to church, we'll say yes. They will come. The safe thing about this is they come in knowing they're probably going to hear something, and we share the good news of Jesus. And 
just so you know, we expect you to bring your non-believing friends or your new, whatever it is. And so we try and communicate in a way that everybody can understand. In fact, in my mind, I try and think of this way, an eighth grade boy. I want every, no, seriously, I want every eighth grade boy to be able to understand everything I say. And so we, we try not to make it lofty or it doesn't need to be. Right? We want to understand where people are. People might not have any idea about the Bible. We want to communicate in a way where it's okay to come in here and not know every, anything. Right? So we expect you to bring your friends. So you're not, this is a great place. But does it start here? Most of the time, it doesn't. Honestly, most of the time, it begins with you and your relationships and you being a witness. Meaning, it's okay for you to look at, well, I'm the herald. You are the preacher. And going back to last week, I, I know that's a little bit scary because you're like, I don't know everything. You don't have to be. Right? What we looked at last week in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Right? Meaning not go do this. It was you are. If you are my follower, you are my witness. You're going to tell about me. And we get mixed up thinking like in a trial, we need to be the expert witness. Right? The one who knows all the details. That's not what a witness is. The witness is simply somebody who tells what they've seen. And so for us, again, what, what do we tell? What Jesus has done, right? And, and so we follow a pattern. We shared this last week, and it's fairly simple. Before Jesus, I blank. I met Jesus when, since Jesus, I, and I like to say it's making an elevator speech, right? Most people don't need a sermon. Bring them here for that, right? But they need a, a quick, right? A quick, here's what God has done for me, and here's the truth. And you can share that fairly quickly, Right? Because you are the one to share the good news. Now, number five, last one. For someone to preach the good news, they must be sent. Verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Guess what? You're sent. You're sent. Now, we, one of our values, and you'll see it in the conference room, is sending capacity, not seeding capacity. Meaning our goal isn't just to be a big church. Our goal is to send more and more people out there making a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. And so you are sent. Now, absolutely, pastors, church planters, missionaries are sent. Uh, we're going to send the Carter family um, next month, right? Three weeks, right? They're going to Africa. They're being sent. Some of you might get the call to go permanently somewhere. And, and that's, so that's a different kind of sending, and that's okay. But we are also sent. Where are you sent? This is our vision statement. We are fueling a movement of God's people surrendered to his mission wherever he places us. I love that. Because where are you sent? Where are you? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do, you're already sent there. Uh, again, we try and make it difficult and deep. What, you're already sent. You already have a neighbor. Probably more than one. You have people you, you are already sent. So as you came in, you got a shoe, right? You're, and everybody coming, well, these are so cute. You know, heard that a lot. But, but what's the point, right? The, the point of this is how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, if you didn't get a shoe, there, you can get one on the way out. Um, but the, the idea of this is just a reminder, the reminder that you are sent, now, I know some of you in school, I know what you're going to do with these. You're going to put them on your backpack, right? Right? It's cool. And do that. Put it on your backpack. And as a reminder, when you get up for school, I'm sent. I'm going to school. I'm sent to my classmates, but maybe even to your teachers, 
right? The way you are a student, the way you show respect and honor to your teacher. I mean, you are sent everywhere you go. And so, again, put this shoe on your backpack. Uh, if you wear glasses, hang it, right? Whatever it is, put it somewhere. It, maybe it's in your car, right? Hang this from your rear view mirror, something for the point that when you see this, just, it's just a quick reminder, I'm sent, I'm, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You are that person. You are plan A. And there is no plan B. You don't have to be elaborate. You don't have to be deep. You just share simply who Jesus is and what he has done for you. In John 20, 21, Jesus says this. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And that's to everybody. That's not just to apostles. That's not just to pastors or missionaries. That's to everybody. That's to every disciple. And a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. You are sent. And how do we respond to that? I think Isaiah gives us the best example. Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. He was given a vision of God. And it looks like it's God and some angels. And he's, and he's talking. He's like, look out in the world. There's such a need. Who are we going to send? And Isaiah is right there. And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. Oh, I mean, what a beautiful, humble, who will we send? Here I am, send me. And, and you look through the Old Testament and you see prophet after prophet. After, I mean, same idea. Here I am, send me Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes to bring the good news. And what do they do? They throw him in a well, <laughs> right? right? They, I mean, all these things, the prophets were, were killed. Uh, the disciples, every single one of the disciples, except for probably John, was martyred for their faith. You know, tradition gives us some of them. Some of them were uh, stabbed with a sword. James was killed with a, a sword. Paul was probably beheaded. Uh, tradition says Peter was crucified upside down because they were going to crucify him. He said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord died, so do it upside down. I don't know if that's true. That's tradition, right? But all of them said, here I am, send me. Can that be your response? Can that be my, what would happen if all of us responded that way? Oh my goodness, here I am, send me. And we're not the only church in town. There are other great churches in town. What if all of us, every single one said, here I am, send me, and took this seriously. What might happen to our community? We live in a great place. We do. But what might happen in our schools? What might happen just all around if we take this seriously? Again, I, I shared this last week, and we don't talk about politics a lot here. Um, here's the only thing I'm going to say. The answer isn't government. Right, all the troubles in the world, we should vote. I'm saying we should be involved, we should vote. The answer is not government. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer to the true problem are Jesus Christ, and we can do it by bringing a pink shoe <laughs> and, and just, just reminding ourselves we are sent. We bring this good news. There is salvation in no other name, only Jesus, and we are plan A to share that good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you, first of all, for this good news. Uh, the good news that you came, you took on flesh, you died for our sin, and you rose from the dead. I thank you that our salvation is not based on works, because uh, I know I wouldn't make it. None of us would make it. Scripture makes that clear. So I thank you for salvation. Uh, I thank you for the hope of eternal life. We look forward, Jesus, to you coming back. And when you do, you're going to set up your perfect reign and rule. We cannot wait. You're going to give us new bodies that, that aren't sick, right, that don't die, that don't wear out, uh, that don't have sin in them. These temptations that draw us astray, you, later we're going to have new bodies without that. We cannot wait to be in perfect relationship with you and one another. But God, for now, I, I do ask that until you come, 
that we would be found faithful, that we would take this idea seriously, that we are sent, that we would enjoy you. We would enjoy worship. We would enjoy this freedom of relationship we have with you and that we would be ambitious, right, to wear our shoes out, taking that good news to others, to those around us, and that some of us, God, I do pray that some of us in here would, would be sent uh, even further, whether that's missions work, whether that's into the pastorate, church planters, whatever that would be, that more of us would, would get that call to go, but that every single one of us would recognize the value and the weight that we are sent right where we are. We love you in your name. Amen.